You're listening to the Get Out and Drive podcast with John Custom Car Nerd Meyer and Jason Old Car Guy Car. We'll be bringing you gearheads everything you never wanted to know about cars and why they should be on the road and not in your garage. Are you ready to get out and drive? We're already gearing up for National Get Out and Drive Day this October 2nd, 2022. Just head over to nationalgetoutanddriveday.com and apply now. I'm excited to announce that the Get Out and Drive podcast is now on Wingding TV. This means you can check out the Get Out and Drive podcast and our exclusive video content on Roku, Apple TV, Fire TV, and more. Just download the Wingding app and start watching and listening today. And we're back with another great episode of the Get Out and Drive podcast. I am John Custom Carnard Meyer. And I'm Jason Old Car Guy Car. Jason, you know, we've got several people that we have interviewed that absolutely love cars and they have forever. And and you you love cars and toys and, and you bring all of that stuff with you to an as an adult, right? Absolutely. Everybody does, don't we? We we do we do I, and I've got a lot of toys and a lot of things that I've cherished and either lost through play or lost through time or my mom sold them at the garage sale. Arr, mom, <laughs> um, but we we certainly have uh, an incredible guest here that that seems to have had the drive to be involved with cars since he was little. We have Tim McRain. He can certainly explain to us his love of cars from when he was a young child. Welcome, Tim. John, thank you very much, Jason. Appreciate the opportunity being on your show. Well, tell us a little bit about your history, and then we'll quickly fast forward to even more cool stuff of what you're doing now. So mm-hmm. so, so, what, what was your spark? I grew up in England, you know, Europe, and, and some other continents, but certainly Europe and England, you know, cars or motorsports is one of the major sports. You know, obviously in this country, it, it's football, baseball, and basketball. But in England, soccer is probably the predominant sport. But, but motorsports is right up there. So it, it's not unusual for, for everybody in a lot of European countries to sort of be just knowledgeable, aware about what's going on in the whole motorsports world. I actually grew up in a father. My, my father was a used car dealership. He had a dealership. He dealt in, in, in secondhand cars, used cars. Cars weren't his passion. He loved to play golf, and he had previously been a professional soccer player at a time when you needed another job to survive because they didn't pay you enough. So football and golf were his passions and not cars. But as a young kid, I was able to hang around his place of business and, and you know, pretend to drive at an early age. On my fifth birthday, I got a pedal car it's called an Austin J40. So I suspect that if I'd been into cricket or soccer, I would have got a football or a cricket bat. But I got an Austin J40 for my birthday. And I've got some pictures a couple of pictures of me sitting in it looking all very serious with my blazer on my cap. And I suspect I probably slept in the thing the first couple of nights. So I must have had a passion for cars from an early age. And that just continued. I grew up very near a one of the major racetracks in England called Brands Hatch in Kent. Um, back in those days, the track used to host the British Grand Prix every alternate year between Brands Hatch and Silverstone. The Formula One race would go back and forward every year. And there was always something going on out there, cars, bikes, um, motorcycles, all manner of things. So 
My friends and I, we, we would cycle out there at an early age and probably have a pair of wire cutters in our back pockets. We certainly didn't have the money to buy a ticket. Um, <laughs> so it was just, it was that. It was, cars were very much a, a passion. Probably motorcycles at an earlier age because you, you, you pretended you were one of the great motorcycle riders as you rode around the neighborhood on a, on a motorcycle or, or something with an engine on it, much, much too young. And certainly you didn't want to get caught by the police. But anything with cars and bikes have been you know, free from an early age. I moved to California in the early 80s after coming out on vacation and going back to England and, and re- realizing that two and a half weeks spent in Palm Springs was reality. So why don't I move there and, and focus the rest of my life on that experience? And ended up in California. So obviously sort of a car culture capital and ended up in the sort of the hospitality industry because as a non-golf playing person with a newly minted mechanical engineering degree, I chose the one place in the world that didn't need engineers. And if you didn't play golf, you better find something else to do. <laughs> and as part of a, a local group, we were I, I volunteered for Chamber of Commerce. A group of us got together. We were into cars. And we were trying to work out what to do to, to help generate business. The season down there runs from Thanksgiving to Easter. We decided, well, car people, and there used to be car racing in Palm Springs. Let's put on a car race. How difficult could it be? In those infamous last words. Well, what we did, uh, we pulled off the first year, but we knew it when we were in over our head. We needed somebody else to come in and do it properly for it to go somewhere. And brought in the promoter at the time of the Long Beach Grand Prix. And he brought in a classic car auction company operator for the second year. And within the next year, I, I was offered a position to work in the classic car auction world. And since that time, I've been in different aspects of the classic and collector car world and the racing world. So that, that's how it all got started. That's a big snowball, isn't it, Jason? <laughs> no, that was. That's a lot of information to take in. But one of the things I got from that, I want to go back just a little bit and, and talk about what kind of got you into the cars and the racing and stuff like that. We always have a story, a dad or an uncle or a grandfather or something like that, that kind of got us there. But I'm curious to know what kind of fueled it. Obviously, you were sneaking into the races or whatever. Like what fueled that as you grew up into adolescence and maybe into the ability to earn your own keep? Yeah, it, it was probably a, a combination. Again, that thing that underlying interesting cars. My grandmother was actually one of them. She she always had great cars. So we were very fortunate. And I, and I do remember a couple of times when I was much too young, sitting on her lap as we were driving through the countryside and, and being able to sort of steer the car. I do remember that experience. When I was in school, because my dad was a, a car dealer, I, I'd actually had a focus. I, was, I, I wanted a Ford Capri. That, that was the sporty car of the time. I, I was just dreaming of that when I was 16. I had a part-time job I'm working at a, a gas station on Friday and Saturday nights to save up money. My dad came home one time and he said, I've just taken this car in the part exchange. You should take a look at it because you can afford it. He was going to make me pay what he paid for it. And it was a 1970 Ford Cortina 1600E. I actually went down and looked at it and I was really in a position where I really couldn't be that picky because I didn't have money for a Capri. And I, there was this car sitting in front of me that you know I could work my way into. So that was my first car. A friend of mine, he wanted to buy my car. He bought an identical car. A friend of mine in England, Phil Robertson, still a friend of this day. He had built up some custom cars. He had built up what they call in England the Ford Pop, which is England's version of the, the 32 Ford. It's the iconic car that's hot-rodded in England. And we'd go up to Kings Road in Chelsea. That's where they did the monthly cruise. And I suppose it was, it was hanging around with Phil and his friends 
um, and what they had done and a couple of others that were into American cars, which is not the most practical thing to own in England. You know, people are complaining about the price of gas over here now, you know, in England. I think it was like five, five dollars a gallon back in those days. But wow. that that was probably it. It was those, those sort of school year where, you know, once you could drive and then we would go to all the different events, you know, obviously followed racing, love racing, but probably the hot rods and custom cars were the were the first passion that drove a friend of mine, Phil. Pretty cool mentors and pretty cool people you hung out with. And that yeah. that's great that you you've kind of got that all together and you've got people that are in the same passion as you. Yeah. And we, we always talk about if you like ice skating, you gotta hang out the ice skating rink. And if you like cars, you gotta hang out the racetrack. And and that's that is that is fantastic. Yeah. So you're you're involved with American Festival of Speed, correct? Uh, actually we call it American Speed Festival. Oh, okay. Um, American yeah, Speed so Festival. It, 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 when it first got launched, they were going to call it American Festival of Speed, but we, we changed it last year. So it's formally okay. known as American Speed Festival, and it's our flagship event. Okay, very good. And uh, Woodward Dream Festival, or it's Woodward Dream Cruise? Well, it's, or- it's the Woodward Dream Cruise, which is the sort of the legendary cruise up Woodward Avenue. So right. we've introduced what we call the Woodward Dream Show to complement the cruise okay. uh, using the M1 facility. And the M1 concourse name actually comes because we're located on Woodward Avenue, and that street's designation is, is M1, Michigan Highway 1, because it was the very first highway in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was actually the very first highway that had any section of it paved in North America. So, so that's where the M1 concourse name comes from. Oh, well, that's fantastic. How long ago was that? I, I know it's been a while, but how long ago was that paved? Uh, oh, decades ago, in the eight, late 1800s. Okay, that's I so, thought. I knew it was like a long, yeah, long time ago because yeah. you, don't, you don't get the uh, designation as number one without being, <laughs> without being exactly uh, yeah. right being yeah. a long time ago. Go ahead. Augustus B. Woodward was the gentleman that I think uh, laid out the, the the sort of the the hub and spoke uh, configuration of the roads in Detroit going out to the well there were no suburbs back in those days but going out so that's where the Woodward name comes from. Wow. Well, and I I was hoping that the M1 had a little bit more significance brought back from England. Like I I didn't expect Michigan one. I mean I thought <laughs> you know maybe it was you know Her Majesty's Highway number one. No. Uh-huh. It was Michigan once. Well, there, there is. My friends in England asked me because uh, there is an M1 in England, and it is the first motorway uh, that goes from the south of England all the way to the north of England. So, yeah, no royal connections. <laughs> I know with all of the new the new things that you were involved with, American Speed Festival and the Woodward Dream, How what are you doing at all to, or, or if at all, to bring new blood into uh, into our industry? Because we're always trying to push what drives youth that we want to make sure that we give our information to the next generation. What are you doing to get the next generation involved in automobiles? Well, and, and that's that's a, a very important component. And I think every aspect of the automotive world in, in some way is, is looking to that as be a key part, whether it's the the, the world we're in, uh, you know, classic and collector cars. You know, you hear the automotive manufacturers are trying to work out how can they, how can they make sure that the young people want to learn how to drive and drive cars. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when we were growing up, I mean, that was the first thing. I had my driver's test on my birthday, which was quite unusual in England. But, you know, it was important. From our point of view, we do, we have our signature events and we try to sort of focus them on uh, cross-generational activities. But what we also do here is, you know, given we're in Michigan, we we obviously can't do it year-round, like a lot of places around the country. 
these monthly cars and coffee events. It's very important. What we did this year is we themed it. Um, so each month has a theme, whether it's a particular make, you know, whether it's a Ford, this past uh, Saturday, it was European marks. And, and one thing that, that we make sure is important to embrace all cars and, and all owners that come in. Yes, it's easy to stop and talk to the guy with the 69 Charger or something special. The younger kid that comes in with maybe a project car that's not finished, doesn't look like a show car, or even later model. I mean, that's important and they've got to feel like they're part of it. One of the things with, even though we theme the events, we, we try to just let the cars come in and park wherever they want. And some people have come up and said, well, you know, you should put the Fords in one area and the, the Chevrolets in another area. And, you know, that's a car show. And it's important for us for, you know, the, the, the younger kid with a Toyota Celica to be able to park next to or coincidentally park next to somebody with a Ferrari or somebody with a Lamborghini. So can have that cross-generational conversation. And, you know, we go around and, and see what appeals to them. I, I do remember at another facility I ran when I ran a museum in California. When the cars leave, the biggest challenge of events like that is people leave and, um, you know, they, they sort of want to do burnouts. And there was a bunch of kids up on the bank and they were all videotaping it. And there was a pretty s special group of European exotic cars at this particular event. And I remember talking to these younger kids and, and they said, you know, so which one, did, which car did you really like? Thinking that they were going to say, you know, the Enzo or the Lamborghini or whatever. Mm -hmm. And one of them said, you know, the Toyota Celica. And then the other said, no, 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 the 510. Because they could relate to those cars. They could see themselves in those cars as yes. opposed to it being an aspirational car that you're going to end up with a poster on your bedroom wall. And that's the closest you may get to it. That's how we approach the events where, you know, they can come in and, and feel like they're included as part of it. So you don't have a year cut off for for any of your events? We well, I wouldn't say if, if any of our events. For for our cars and coffee events, we make sure because they are open to the public. There's no charge. Oh, okay. We make sure that there's no year cut off, you know. And unfortunately, we've got the space here. So that that allows us. We can accommodate this past month. We probably had in excess of fifteen hundred cars parking around the track. The month before, when we focused on Ford, messenger went around with the Ford employees. A lot of them came out, so that really swelled our numbers. We were probably in excess of 2,000 cars. And, and for some of these younger kids, to them, an older car is a car from the 90s, you know, whereas, you know, we may look at a car and look at it, it's, it's 60s or it's 50s. So, you know, everything's relative to, depending upon what generation they are. Mm -hmm. And that's important. It is. I mean, everything today is generational and there's all these memes floating around on Facebook and Instagram that say, you know, uh, when I think 20 years ago uh, and then what really was 20 years ago is two yeah. different things. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got a young fella. He's 22 years old and the cars that he's been brought up with over the last 22 years are obviously different than the ones that I've been brought up and different than the ones my dad was brought up with. So, yeah. you know, when you're going into these events, and you're able to walk down the line and you're able to see the Enzos or the Lamborghinis mm. or the Mustangs or the Datsuns or the Z cars or whatever you're seeing. Um, I agree. Having them all in the same place sort of brings a lot of those generations together as opposed to parking all the Lamborghini guys over there, all the Mustang guys oh. over there. You need to learn from those other generations, because if the stories aren't being told, they're never going to be retold. One of the things is I look at the cars that, that I liked when I was a teenager and, and it's changed dramatically. Yes, there's certainly a couple that are probably still on my list, but but it's changed. Your taste change. You get exposed to cars that you maybe didn't know about. Certainly coming from England, I think I was, was quite aware of 
of a number of what would be classic cars, but they were mostly European marks. And I came to the States and, and got to be more acquainted with Packards and, and pre-war Cadillacs and Duesenbergs. And, and you get exposed to a, to a different sort of era or some of the 60s cars that weren't the, the magazine cover cars. They weren't the 59 Fiat Eldorado or something like that. Also, uh, you get to sort of hang out with what your friends have. And I, where we all had the same cars, uh, whereas some people say, well, I, I don't want anything that he wants. I'm going to get something different. But another thing I've seen, and this, this is in England, they're probably the same over here in some areas, that, you know, there's, um, there's certainly, you know, one of the biggest challenges getting youth is, is the value of some of these cars. Now, um, certainly, you know, some of the, the, the classic and collector cars have, have, have got to, to astronomical prices. And, and I don't mean the very rare ones, uh, but even, you know, you look at some of the, the Corvettes and the Camaros and the Mopar cars. So, you know, now they look at cars that, you know, what are uh, affordable? And, and if you go back into, you know, the 20s or 30s or even the earlier, I'm seeing some generations where younger kids are getting into those. First of all, they get exposed to them. But then they find out, you know, they're extremely expensive compared to a muscle car, but they come passionate about them. There's an event in England that happens in November called the London to Brighton Run. It actually started in 1904, and it was to recognize what they call the changing of the red flag act up to 1904 in England, somebody had to walk in front of a car with a red flag because they didn't want it to scare the horses. So they stopped it. So they started this run from London to Brighton, which is probably slightly over 40 miles. So they have had this run going on all this time. And over the last 10 years, the number of cars that participate has increased and the average age of the participant has decreased. Um, one, because you get you know, families where the grandfathers pass it on to the dad or the son or whatever. Firstly, nobody driving any of those cars bought them new. So, you know, there's a lot of the, the same people go, well, the trouble with old cars, those people are dying off. So this is just that younger generations are being exposed to. But when I say 1904, every car, and there could be seven or 800 cars that enter in that event. They cannot be old. They cannot be younger than 1904. So they can range from the late 1800s through to 1904, and they're very strict about the cutoff. And it is wonderful to see younger people driving some of these, you know, veteran car or brass era cars. And, and uh, wow. I think that's probably the case out here. I'm just, I'm just very knowledgeable about that particular event. That's got to be crazy to see somebody that's not 90 years old driving a vehicle that's 04 and previous. Yeah, oh, yeah, four. Right, and it takes some doing with those things. You you got to know what you're what, what you're doing. It's a, you're not riding in those. You, you're driving them. It's it's a workout. <laughs> uh, exactly. It is it is an actual Rude Goldberg machine that you have to do these things yeah. uh, to to get things to uh, to actually yeah. operate. And and yeah. it's difficult. I've driven some of that type of cars. You know, cars with planetary transmissions and and things like that, and cars that you have to have a mechanical background to drive yeah. you know you got to yeah. be a mechanical engineer uh, yeah. to drive these things and it's amazing and it's it it is great to hear that even that era cutoff of cars is so old and that the next generation is getting involved that's fantastic yeah. so thank you to, for for what you do <laughs> yeah well you know I, it it happens around there's a number of organizations that are, are very driven in making sure that you know, we 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 keep the see the hobby alive because it's it, it's a business, it's a lifestyle. There's lots of people, out, but it is important to 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 make sure that we we pass on you know the the, the love and the passion for you know older cars um, so we can continue it.
I think that we look back and we think of these an 04. Today, 04 to me is, is a totally different. I am a used car salesman. So 04, <laughs> yeah, no, we're going back 100 years, folks. Yeah. And to, to sit back and be able to talk about cars that are that old now. When I was a kid, you couldn't really talk about cars that were yeah. 100 years old because they just didn't exist. Yeah. You know, now we're yeah. into the generation where cars are becoming 110, 120 years old. Yeah. They've just been around for so long. Tim, tell me a little bit about what you feel your favorite event is. What's, what's the favorite event of Tim McGrain? I'm going to break it out. There's one particular event in Europe, and then there's a, a week of events here in, in Northern California. Uh, for, for many years, I've gone, I've attended, I've participated, been involved. Pebble Beach Concours, Monterey Historic Weeks that happens in August. That, that is a, a special happening. The diversity of cars, whether they, and, you know, the Pebble event has, has been going on since sort of 1950. And that's a, that, that's a special event. And maybe it's because I have been involved. It, it's also an event that became what started off to be a weekend and is now sort of, you know, almost 10 days. Um, and it, it, sometimes it can be too much of a good thing for some people. I know right. some people go into the first time and it's just sensory overload. I would say for just a single event, uh, the, the Goodwood Revival um, in England, um, for a couple of reasons. One, Goodwood put on, and this is an event that happens at um, an old racetrack. So the Goodwood Estates and Goodwood does three events at the moment. They do uh, the Festival Speed, uh, but the Revival is held at the old airfield that was on the family's property. It was a racetrack from 1948 through 1966. And the Duke of Richmond at the time closed it because the cars were going too fast and he, he didn't want to upgrade the track. Basically, it was the perimeter road of the airfield during the war that got turned into a racetrack. One very famous driver had a career-ending accident there. One regrettably lost his life. So they closed the track. Um, but it got opened up you know, by the current Duke of Richmond, probably 20 plus years ago. But it's like going back into a time warp. Everything that happens at the event has to fit within the theme of 1948 through 1966. The cars, uh, people are encouraged to sort of, you know, get up into the dress. So you see the largest collection of people with, you know, World War II uniforms, probably the most Marilyn Monroe lookalikes you're ever going to see in one place. And, and, <laughs> Um, Charles March is very much about theater. So he creates all these little, well, not little, they're large areas and vignettes that play off different things in British history. And I remember one year I went there. It's a three-day event, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I look back and I think, I don't think I watched a single car race on the track because there was so much going on and so much to look at in the pits and the paddock. So that probably would be sort of equal as a single event, Goodwood Revival. But the the Pebble Beach weekend is is another great happening. It is crazy when I see pictures of of that type of thing, and you can take black and white photos of that, and they create an air of a time period, and and it's and it's just astounding the people that specifically either restore cars or build cars or attend that to be in that in that time period in that yeah. era. It's just it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Well, one of the things, Jason, the point you said earlier about, you know, people talking about older cars now, one of the things that's made that happen over the years is that, you know, there was a time when to get an older car, you didn't know where you were going to get the parts. You didn't know who could fix it. You didn't even know where the parts were available. Now there's, there's such an industry around collector and classic cars 
uh, that, that, that somebody can be a lot more comfortable in owning an older car. And if they're not that hands-on person, they know that there's the resources or the availability to keep the car running. And I think that's probably one of the biggest drivers in collector cars. Hey, we always have selective memory, don't we? We go back to get the car you had when you was a kid and you drive it and you go, this isn't quite as good as I thought it was. You know, it rattles, it shakes, it it's not comfortable. So, you know, it's created the whole resto mod culture where, you know, guys, yeah, I've got my 56 Corvette, but it's really a C8 underneath. Right. <laughs> That is that's exactly true because I know Jason. We we talked uh, uh, quite a lot about education, either for customers or or for people building restored vintage cars. They'll get out of a '55 Chevrolet and into 2022 Mercedes, and they think their '55 Chevrolet is broken. Yeah, it's not running right because yeah. they're used to all the new modern convenience, yeah. and yeah. and that that plays a, a big part. Is is education of of people and yeah. explaining to them about the mechanical limits of a vintage car you know that's a great point that you make too with the advent of the internet it allows people to go to places like racingjunk.com uh, who is a proud sponsor of the get out and drive podcast that they can go and choose the exact part that they're missing or they need to sell something they need to clean out that garage and they can go to racingjunk.com no fees sell their junk buy whatever they need for their cars great place to be i know we talked a little bit about information to be passed on the next generation is there anyone or any uh, organization in particular that you are supporting that that is youth oriented we have a couple of things here from a driving point of view uh, we started collaborating with an organization here in detroit called team street skills mm-hmm. um, a former um, indycar driver robbie buell has created this program a number of years ago um, he does it down in downtown Detroit in a place called Belle Isle. But this year we brought it up here to City of Pontiac. Um, and it's to to teach students that that know how to drive, but teach them advanced skills. Because as we know, it's the ability to sort of make sure you know what you're doing and be taught to how to drive, as opposed to that self-taught program. And and you see, you know, as unfortunately accidents that happen and tragedies happen. Um, so that's probably one of the programs specifically here uh, to M1 that we're very pleased to be involved with. And we look forward to re- expanding that uh, because it's a free program for the school students. Uh, they can just come, team street skills, bring the cars, and they have professional instructors, and g- again, take them through so that if they are on the road, because the trouble is nowadays, the cars are so great at all levels. You think you're a good driver, and I'm not saying that everybody isn't. And you watch somebody who thinks they're a good driver and you put them in the car and you turn off tra- traction control and all the driver aids and they find out well, they really aren't quite as good as they thought. So, <laughs> so, so that, that, that's a program that we have here. And then secondly, the Haggerty organization, as much as they're, they're mainly known for you know the time in the insurance world, I think what they're doing for getting youth into different aspects of the automotive world. I've had a long relationship with Haggerty. We formally have a relationship with Haggerty here at M1 Concourse. We support what they do in bringing youth and younger people into different aspects of the car world. That's a big thing is, I said it before, if we're not able to listen to the stories told by our elders, then we'll never have those stories to pass on to that next generation. And when things like driving teen street skills, what an amazing thing that is for kids, for high school kids. Because I know when I was in high school, all I wanted, I couldn't wait to get my license to get out there and just burn up the streets because you thought that was a cool thing. We drove way too fast and vehicles that just couldn't handle it. But 
what an opportunity for teens to learn some of those defensive driving skills. Of course, yeah. I learned to drive without ABS brakes and you know all that type of stuff too. But John and I have had this conversation several times about the, the skills needed to drive a car today are far less than what they were just 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, because we have this false sense of safety uh, built around these cocoons that practically drive for us today. Yeah. And having that available to high school kids to learn you know, kind of like a grassroots, this is plain Jane, get you back in. I think that's an amazing program. Mm. Uh, is that something that maybe you could see expanded, not just where you are, but clear across the country? You know, I think there are some other programs. Like I'm familiar on the West Coast. There is an organization that has a similar program. The name of it is Breaks, And I can't remember the full breakdown of the acronym of Breaks. It's supported by some of the automotive manufacturers on, on the West Coast. And I'm sure there are others. Our production manager, she did get the acronym for brakes, and it's be responsible and keep everyone safe. There we go. Um, in the sort of relatively short time I've been here, I've been in this position just over a year. Um, and I knew Robbie before, but you know, when we met just a few months ago and I went down to see his program, I thought it was important. Oakland County, where we sit, is is a very affluent county, but the city of Pontiac is not. So we need to make sure we we bring resources here to help the community and the residents of Pontiac. And I think another thing to the point about, you know, yes, it's the driving and there's the cars, but well, the collector car world to keep, you know, younger people to pass down not only the history of knowledge, but the skills, you know, the skills of, of, of working on some of these older cars. And I'm not saying, you know, be, you know, become a mechanic or a grease junkie, but the world of automotive restoration, you know, has it has its own need, you know, to make sure that with these the craftsmen. Um, the older people now that know how to build those older engines or work on the bodywork or or do the interiors. And the McPherson College in Kansas has a wonderful program over a number of years. And they actually have, a, I think, it's a four-year degree on automotive restoration. Um, and they've been doing this for a number of years and they do a great job. And some of their people come out there and, and, and they think they've all got a number of companies that are ready to hire them because they've got such a good reputation. But passing down that knowledge you know, whether it's restoration or even the car world. I mean, you see these good car shows and there are judges that specialist in whatever car, you know, whether it's Corvettes or Camaros or, or any of those. It's the knowledge that the older people, that the judges that pass on to the younger people. So that skill set can keep alive. So there's so many different areas that we can share that knowledge to make sure that the other generations coming up through um, can continue on. Tim, definitely talk to us about uh, the garage community at Champion Motor Speedway. I know we spoke a brief minute off camera, and you said it was so popular, it is already sold out. Is that correct? It it is. So all 250 of the privately owned garages uh, are sold. The last phase, the last 80 garages closed out. Um, Some of those are still being built out. So what what we did here is we, we built the buildings, and we delivered to the owner basically a clean white box. So it's a two-story or a structure that has the ability to be built out two stories inside. And what we find out is this a real cross-section of what people will do with the interior. So you've got some people that are very much into their cars. So they've got their race cars or whatever cars they have there. They've got a lift, got their tools and the obligatory, you know, couch refrigerator and television. (laughs) And then the other extreme is something that looks like it's an architectural digest, like a New York City apartment. It's got white marble floor. Chrome handrails, mirror, and glass, and then all different themes in between. 
the sort of consistent thing is 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 how how do they display their cars? It's not just a place to store cars. It's very much about displaying cars. So mm-hmm. some of them got very creative with you know extra tall lifts. So when they built the mezzanine, which is the sort of the common area, the community area where they have a pool table and a, a kitchen and 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 all their sort of games. Um, some of them have had these lifts with extra tall posts. So when the car comes up, it sits flush on the floor up there. Like that's where it's run. So um, it's it's really interesting. They are very creative with the, the themes and what they've done. But it's uh, and not everybody that has a garage here is is part of our motorsports club, which gives them access to the racetrack. Some of them just are here because they're car people. Uh, we have one particular gentleman that's that's passionate about cars from the late twenties called Kissel Cars. Um, he's got eight or nine of them here, and I think he's got a number more uh, at his, his place at home. So that's not a car that you take out on a racetrack, but he likes to be here because it's part of a car community. Bring me up to speed. Is this finished and something that's actually up and running, correct? Is- it is. So the, so the track, we've got a one-and-a-half-mile, 11-turn track, and that's been operational for uh, about five years. The place opened about six years ago with the first phase of garages. The track opened about five years. So now all the garages are built and complete. Our new event center, about a 30,000 square foot event center, opened last October, and that sits right on pit lane. It was very much sort of designed around, you know, sort of automotive news, but it can be used by, you know, industries, social events, fundraisers. We use the property for a number of events that we do, our signature events, two of which we talked about earlier. Uh, We have some companies that come in and do corporate events here, whether they're car manufacturers or any of the suppliers. They can use the event center you know, with or without the track. The garage community, they have, if they're a motorsports club member, they get a certain number of hours per month that they get access to the track with our motorsports club days. And we spread that out. It could be early in the morning, it could be lunchtime, it could be during the day, in the evening, weekend and weekdays. And then we have some third-party companies that come in and do car events. One specifically is, is called Roadkill Nights, the Dodge Company gets mm-hmm. together with Motor Trend and they put on Roadkill Nights, which is the weekend before um, the Woodward Dream Cruise. So we have this work called Pontiac Power Week. So Roadkill Nights one weekend, Dream Cruise the following weekend. We're looking at other opportunities. We're actually going to introduce something that's that's non-horsepower related. We're actually going to do a competitive cycling event on the track in July. It's a property and it's a venue that lends itself both to motorsports, but also to entertainment. So you're pretty much the Willy Wonka of the of the automotive industry. Is that where we're at? Let's put a gauge from this. Well, I think it's more of a, we, we like to think more of, a Dis, Dis, more of a Disneyland. So very good. Well, that's what I see in my crazy child mind. You know, I I, I see it adjusting knobs and making gears go yeah. and. And all sorts of things. And I'm passionate about what I see you're passionate about. And I can't even believe the level that, that you're moving this forward at. Um, it's it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do. Wow. No, well, I appreciate it. I've been very fortunate. What do they say? You know, if you, if you love what you do, you're never really working. Now, there's some days here where we, we, we definitely feel like we're working. But uh, I've had some great experiences and, and still having them. You know, whether it's to do with cross-section of cars, you know, that maybe as a, a, as a kid I sort of dreamed about. And, and over the time, I've had the opportunity to be involved with, to ride, to drive, and also some of the personalities. You know, dealing with historic events around race cars, you know, there's a resurgence of, of drivers that, you know, I want to say in retirement, they're not driving competitively. But now they come out to the like American Speed Festival or a speaker series. So that, that's a great opportunity. It's, I, I always feel like you go to an event for the car. 
but you go back because of the people. It's, a, it's about the personalities and the friends and associates that you meet through the car world that just, you just make the car world that much more special. Having this conversation tonight, I think will be an eye-opener for a lot of people to understand that there are people in the industry who are continually trying to come up with new ways that are going to draw more people into the sport or into the, the ability to enjoy what it is, whether it be automotive racing, whether it be just show cars, whether it be muscle cars, cars from 1904 and older. I think it's great that there are people like you, Tim, who are able to put these events together uh, draw the crowds in from all ages, uh, whether you're car people or not. Sometimes it's a matter of going and seeing something for the first time. Could be 50 years old, never know you're a car guy till you get to one of your events. So Tim, thanks a lot for putting these events together and spreading the word uh, of the car community, because that's exactly what we're all trying to do. We want to keep the car community alive forever. That's exactly true. Where do you see the future uh, for for what you're being involved with? Well, We've got our two signature events. I think we're going to look to add, you know, one or two more that we can add here during the course of the year, most more likely around the automotive space. We've got some additional development we're going to do here. And the next part of the development will include what we call an experience center, which will be a building that will have a combination of different types of simulators, multi-purpose rooms, and then we'll have what we call our KTO track, which will be a, a cart track. We're looking to, to work on the uh, electric cart sort of program. I think, you know, the electrification of, of all things automotive is something that's moving very rapidly. I can't imagine whether it's the automotive manufacturers or the motorsports world. You know, when I ran the racetrack in California through 2019, you know, you, you're looking down and you, you have to be prepared for, you know, the electrification of all sports um, and motorsports, I should say. And, and that's actually going to be a plus because in the, in the track world or the racetrack world, the biggest challenge we have is, is noise. Um, you know, we're somewhat of a rare breed. We're a suburban racetrack, which you just don't hear of these days. But, you know, tracks have a challenge. So as much as I'm certainly an internal combustion engine person, but I think the, the, for the performance of, of electric cars um, and the ability to be able to run them and not have to generate, not have the noise challenge, adds to it. But it's exciting times, I think, both from a styling point of view, from a car styling point of view. There's a college here in Detroit, College of Creative Studies. I, I got to go to one of their open houses a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the creative minds that some of these students have is, 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 is wonderful. You look at it and you go, how do you even think of that? So I think it's great both, you know, you know they're no longer engines, whether they're propulsion devices. Uh, I, I just hope we always call them cars. I, I don't want to refer to something as a mobility device. That just doesn't sound right. <laughs> oh, I'm like, come on, please. Yeah. Oh, this is ridiculous. Well, you sound like you have done a lot. You have an incredible facility. Hopefully soon coming up, uh, we'll be able to join you up there. And it'll so. uh, be pretty cool to hang out with you in person and uh, Woodward Dream Cruise and check out facility. That'd be great. Absolutely. Excellent. We look, look forward to it. Now's the time to reach out and tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, how they can uh, find about what you're doing and websites and possibly donate. Okay. So M1 Concourse, our website is m1concourse.com. That's the, the letter M, the number one, concourse with an E.com. Our events also have their own sites, woodreddreamshow.com or americanspeedfestival.com. Well, very good. Well, thank you very much. We'll add all that information and uh, hopefully speak to you in person very soon. Excellent. Thank you so much. Look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Tim. All right. Thank you so much.
So that's pretty cool. So uh, thank you to everyone who's who's promoting us and uh, and and pushing our things. So we'll uh, every time we get finished with a an interview, um, we need to look for the next target and the next promotional opportunity. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, and and one way that our followers and our listeners can do that is if they go to the Get Out and Drive website, there is a spot that is a place you can leave a message for us. Tell us who you are, tell us where you're from, and tell us who you'd like to hear interviewed on the Get Out and Drive podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if we use your suggestion, maybe there's something in it for you. Maybe we'll send you a sticker or a t-shirt or something like that. But nevertheless, make sure you're using that listener hotline because that's how we know from you that we're doing it right and that uh, you know we're doing what you're asking because obviously if we're not doing what you're asking, we're not doing it right. Do you want to be in the driver's seat? All you have to do is go to getoutanddrive.com, hit that listener hotline button. There you go. Jason, you like cruising around the internet, just uh, searching for projects that you don't need. You do that? I do. It's probably my second job. It is your second job. I know I get smacked all the time because I've got plenty of projects and uh, I, I, I secretly still look for things other than the things that are in my driveway. What's wrong with us? I don't know. It's definitely a sickness, but, uh, you know, one of my favorite places to visit is racingjunk.com. I go there a lot. I probably shouldn't, but I go there a lot. It's it's like uh, a little little secret hideout. I get really good deals there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry I'm saying this on the podcast. I'm going to let out the secret, but I'm, I'm getting much better deals there than I am on uh, a lot of other websites. Yeah, and not only can you buy and get good deals, but you can also sell your own junk and put money right in your pocket. Yeah, that's right. They don't charge any transaction fees. Just 100% of what I make through my ad, I keep. Absolutely. So if your wife is at you to clean out your garage for spring, you can post all your junk on racingjunk.com. Wow. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna stop talking now. I'm gonna head out to the garage, and uh, I'll, I'll probably be back in a little bit. But I'm gonna head out and clean up some stuff. I know I've got a ton of stuff to sell. Start making money today. Get out in racingjunk.com. Sell your stuff. Get money. Stick it in your pocket. You know, Jason. I know you're new to the Get Out and Drive podcast. Don't you have something else on YouTube like every Thursday? Yeah, we have a podcast-style live stream that happens on YouTube called the Car Guy and Six Fan Show. It's myself and Grant Tommy, who goes by Straight Six Fan on YouTube, and we talk a lot about cars, only it's live. If you're not getting enough on the Get Out and Drive podcast, you can head over to the Car Guy and Six Fan Show every Thursday evening at 7 o'clock Central. It's a collaborative effort between myself and Straight Six Fan. So it alternates from my YouTube channel to his every Thursday night. I've been there. It's cool. That's where all the cool guys hang out. It sure is. And we look forward to seeing you again. Are you looking for more action-packed car content? Head over to YouTube for the Car Guy and Six Fan Show on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Find a link in the show notes and let them know you heard about it from the Get Out and Drive podcast.
Speed over to our friends at RacingJunk.com and sign up for a Pro Club membership. Use the code GETOUT to receive a discount when you sign up for a Pro Club membership. Cruise on over to our website, GetOutAndDrive.com, for all the info you never wanted to know about our podcast. Hit us up on our listener hotline, be the first to know what's happening, get industry news, and grab your Get Out and Drive merch. Connect with us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Follow us on Twitter at Get Out and Drive Pod. What drives you? you?